when you learn a language, it's kind of nice if you can go to that place and honor that culture and like understand. And same with music. I could either sit by the beach and listen to going down that road feeling bad and be like, okay. Or I could come to the South and understand like what cornbread and beans are and what a holler is and how people live and how things are set up and what the nature is like and why these words are the way they are in these songs and get closer and closer to the source. Greetings, friends. Keith Billick here. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And you know, of course, by this theme music, that this is one of the rare but highly anticipated Clawhammer episodes. So I'm really proud and uh, excited to to have you hear this one. It's also a, a hot summer edition of the podcast. And you know what I don't push often enough on here is the extremely cool Banjo Podcast t-shirts that I have available at banjopodcast.com featuring, of course, the famous Picky Fingers logo. Now, these shirts are not only guaranteed to improve your playing tenfold, but they will also keep you looking and feeling cool throughout the summer. So check those out at banjopodcast.com. You've probably seen photos online of all the cool kids who who have theirs, so don't be left out on this one. Uh, Go check it out. And when you do that, you're also supporting the show, which I, of course, appreciate very, very, very much. Uh, the other way to support the show uh, is to go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and sign up to receive benefits in exchange for your support of the show. And actually, we have a very special supporter of the show today to recognize, and that is Colin Brown. Colin is doing something really cool. He is starting a uh, web group called Bluegrass Jammers, and you can find it at bluegrassjammers.com. And he wants it to just be a way for beginning or maybe lower intermediate bluegrass players to get a feel for jamming before they go out into the scary, intimidating real world. So he's uh, facilitating this site to help people out, and I think that's really great. Right now, that site lands on a Facebook group, but he's still working on the main site, and you should join the Facebook group anyway if you, uh, if that's your thing. So, Colin, thank you for putting that website together, and thank you for your support of the show. Once again, that is patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become an official supporter. Hey, speaking of Facebook groups, you should go join Colin's Bluegrass Jammers Facebook group, but also check out, if you didn't already know, there's a Picky Fingers uh, listeners Facebook group called Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast Listeners, Fans, and Friends. So track that down and sign up to join that and get even more of me and your fellow listeners talking about banjos. Today's featured guest is Christina Vane. Christina grew up a bit of a globetrotter and has traveled across America now, but has settled in Nashville, Tennessee, where she is combining her love of Delta blues and slide blues guitar, along with her love also of claw hammer banjo into her own original music and songwriting. And so it's a a great combination, and she just released her first uh, full-length recording called Nowhere Sounds Lovely, and you'll get to hear a bit of that and a bit about her and all of her playing, and I think you will really enjoy it. I really enjoyed speaking with her, and she was very welcoming. You will hear the some nature and some city sounds in the background. She she has a very nice backyard. I was in Nashville on a, a very lovely day, and uh, we got to sit and hang out and talk banjos, which is about my favorite thing in the world to do. So here it is, my conversation with Christina Vane. So Christina, very nice to meet you this week. Thank you for having me over to your home on this lovely day. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too, and I'm excited to chat with you about all things banjo-related. Heck yeah. So my first question is usually some some version of where are you from, but I've read your bio and I know that that's a little more of a complicated answer. 
for someone like yourself. But so that being acknowledged, I, I still want you to give people a tour of your background growing up and where along the way did music become an interest for you? Yeah, um, I grew up in mostly in Paris. I grew up moving around a little bit um, in Europe. I was born in Italy and lived in England and Paris and, and Italy. Just always loved music, always sang. I was in choirs my whole life. I uh, picked up the guitar, you know, around 12 or 13 and played the flute and the piano and Music has always just been a really big part of my life, and it used to be classical more. You know, with the flute, it was mostly Baroque and, uh-huh. like, you know, just all that kind of stuff. I loved it. Um, but I always loved, obviously, contemporary music and rock music and indie music and all this stuff. But all this Roots stuff that I now am very immersed in didn't come till a lot later. So, like, after college. Mm-hmm. And so even even as a child playing those instruments, a lot of... A lot of children play instruments, but don't actually feel passionate about them. But it sounds like you did. And that was something that you knew early on that you were driven to actually pursue. Yeah, I think in uh, high school, my favorite, absolute favorite time of the week was like my flute lessons. They were just, I was just so, I loved it, loved it. I actually briefly, very vaguely considered applying to a conservatory for the flute after high school. And then I was like... I don't know if I want, that's the only thing I want to play and I want to aggressively pursue being a flautist, but, and I'm glad I didn't, you know. Right, right. So were you already interested in what guitar at that point? And and was that part of your decision to maybe leave the flute? I had dabbled. Go off to the side? Yeah, dabbled in songwriting too by then, by like my senior year of high school. So I don't know. I don't even think I really considered myself good enough at anything to get into a conservatory or to really dedicate my life to music, which is funny now. But (laughs) (laughs) at the time I was like, oh, that's not a real option, you know. Uh I have to get a job. So where along the way does the banjo come into the picture for you? Pretty late. Um, I was already in Los Angeles after college working at McCabe's Guitar Shop, which is a very folk-oriented place for those who aren't familiar and... I was learning how to Travis style pick from my men- my mentor who was a teacher there. So how, wait, back. So you grew up in in Europe. How do you just end up in L.A. doing this stuff? What, what brought uh, you there? I moved there after college. Oh, you I did? just wanted okay. to pursue music in a place that seemed nice to live. And my brother lives lived there at the time too. So yeah, I figured you know music industry was going to be there and in New York, and I didn't feel like going to New York. Right. I went to school nearby and it was just not my energy. I got into all that root stuff during that time in Los Angeles and was starting to play slide guitar and then got into Travis picking and then I guess I don't even really remember someone must have just been like have you ever heard of Clawhammer and I was like uh-huh. no and I looked into it and it it just appealed to me immediately. I find it's really pretty. Uh, it can be really interesting and sassy too but I at the same time was given um, someone's copy of the anthology of American folk music box set there's Uh a CD box set that if you haven't heard of that you definitely should run over there if you're listening to a banjo podcast and you uh, haven't listened to at least a couple of the CDs on there it documents um, I forget the exact years but like something like 1927 or 25 to 1935 or something on 12 CDs and just all this awesome stuff that was happening throughout the country. So there's Blind Willie Johnson and all the blues stuff, but then there's a lot of Doc Boggs, there's the Carter family, just these. And so it's it's a good, you know, sampler for someone like me who is coming from the outside to these, these genres. And yeah, I just got interested in it and uh, kept learning more about old time and really liked it. And as a beginner on your instrument, you know, it's not as intimidating as bluegrass, which is just mm-hmm. like, how well can you play your instrument <laughs> sometimes, you know, at the jams and stuff? like um, Athletics. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't have those abilities yet or ever, <laughs> yeah. old time's a really awesome thing because, you know, I just love the feeling of being in a circle of people and play, us playing together and no one person is really taking more or less away or adding to, you know what I mean? We're all, it's all like moments that each person has in their playing that you hear, but sometimes it's so big you don't even hear them. You're just feeling that, that music and that song and 
Yeah, I yeah. love old time. Blue bluegrass is also, of course, about the group sound, but old time much more is just about what you totally. just explained. Not about any one particular person's yeah. I feel exact like the, the bluegrass just... trick is to like have this awesome canvas to then showcase each player over, and the better you can do both, the better. But you I mean the the entire vibe is like okay, it's your turn now. Show yeah, what you can do. They're more more of a spotlight. Yeah, and uh, you know, for some people that's awesome, and for me that's like not always the best vibe. Wasn't so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> My sister lives in Santa Monica, so I've been to, I go to McCabe's every time I'm out there. Maybe yeah. I saw you. <laughs> wow, crazy. We could have totally crossed paths. Yeah. So it sounds like if, if this um, anthology of folk music was your, was your main influence, you went right for, from both like a blues guitar standpoint and also a banjo standpoint, you were really drawn to like the earliest beginnings of both of those, you know, ways of playing. Yeah, I had already actually gotten into the blues, but it was Skip James and Blind Willie Johnson okay. and all that, yeah, 1920s, uh, 30s kind of stuff. Charlie Patton, uh, Mississippi John Hurt. And um, I can't really explain why, to be honest. I don't think there's an answer, you know, like why does someone like blue and someone else like red? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I just have always, the second I heard, you know, I think what is interesting is that it, it took... Um, it took me hearing some versions of these songs that were presented in a way that I was used to listening to. So that's in modern recording. So, you know, Rory Block is an amazing guitar oh, yeah. player and she does a lot of old blues stuff. So I heard one of her covers of Skip James and I was so amazed by the song that I went and listened to Skip James. And that honestly is like started almost all of this whole mess. Skip James, it sounds like he's like singularly maybe one of your... Skip James, Blind Willie Johnson were the two that, that spawned this whole thing, honestly. Okay. Because I had listened to Robert Johnson, and this isn't a popular opinion, but it wasn't what drew me in. I have a lot of respect, and, and, and yeah. like I like it. I still do listen to him sometimes, but it didn't hit me in the same place that Blind Willie Johnson and Skip James did. Something about their... With Skip James, it's like the modal creeping haunting thing with Blind Willie Johnson it's this unbelievable guitar playing and this like beautiful singing that he does and then I just think his faith is really inspiring too he was a very devout singer which okay. is interesting he wasn't like a fake <laughs> not to not to trash talk Sunhouse or Skip James they were both you know in the church but they were also like drunks and yeah uh, it was it was when it when it's uh, worked for them they were very close to the church and then other times they were blues men whereas blind willie johnson was he really only hardly ever sang or recorded religious music and it's seems very apparent that 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 was important to him he actually practiced what he literally preached i guess who knows right it's hard to say because <laughs> i mean maybe he was also crazy yeah. Crazy sinner out in the streets. He was a street performer, so who really knows? But it, it seems like it from the few accounts that I've read about, you know. Uh -huh. 
you were already playing in a in a finger style for your your blues guitar at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we we chatted about this a little bit a minute ago, but for somebody like me who hears about a fingerstyle guitarist switching to banjo, the likely conclusion is that it would make sense for you to play bluegrass. But it was really just the the sound of the music, like you were just saying, that overcame maybe what would have been an easier transition. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't listen to really... I had one Bill Monroe record, Mm. and that's the only bluegrass I was familiar with. I just didn't really like the sound at the time you know I thought it was too aggressive and fast and I, I didn't understand the genre at all mm-hmm. so like three finger style banjo you know is a whole thing yeah <laughs> bluegrass in general right especially the really traditional or like quick bluegrass or anything like that as a songwriter too with almost sometimes more to express in a bigger picture I feel mm-hmm. like claw is good because it's a little easier for me to like accompany myself and that you know I, I, don't, I don't know I guess with the three finger style it's like a lot of plucking or or you're you know actually doing rolls like and a little more distracting both for the player and probably the listener to hear that with just the voice if you want people to be focusing right and on I yourself. mean sky's the limit with anything obviously course, you could yeah. be like Danny Barnes and just find a way to like <laughs> this hybrid cool thing he's got going on yeah. sometimes and but something about, yeah, the claw hammer, you can do both. You can get a little melody out of there. And it, and what I am really interested in, in a way, is also with, like, slide guitar and claw hammer, it's a similar thing where there are parameters, like, put upon your playing, whether it's by the tuning you're in or for a claw hammer, the rhythm that the pattern falls right. into. And it's, like, the challenge, once you get to a point where that's not the hard part anymore, is to overcome that without breaking the style and I'm still obviously working on that part it's going to be years and years but that's with slide too you know you're in this major chord especially I play that fad a lot F sharp A D major D chord and like um, it's pretty easy to get your on a slide you know it's cool it's easy to get some cool sounding things at first but it's really hard to get, you know, dominant sevenths and minor chords and different things within or even, you know, modulate or do things like that. Like when you're playing out of an open major chord, it's right. just a little bit trickier. And there's tons of ways to do it and lots of people that do it really well. But for me, it's like, oh, you know, if I want to do anything interesting to, for me, then I'm going to have to learn how to maneuver myself a little differently around this, this fretboard or, yeah. Yeah, totally. Did you pretty much instantly try to integrate the banjo into like your performances? Were you performing a lot out there already? Uh, you know, I did on my first tour, which was like a five month like road trip tour. It was just this big event in my life because right. uh, I hadn't really seen a lot of the states yet. And I got to do a lot of camping on my off time. I would definitely do, like, entire sets that would just mix fingerstyle guitar, old blues songs, country blues songs, country songs, covers on my acoustic guitar, and then, like, just pick up my banjo and play a few, like, you know, old Joe Clark or something. And, right. And whatever I'd learned in that moment, Angeline the Baker, all these, like, just tunes. <laughs> so tell me more about that trip that you're talking about that was really inspiring for you. What was it about it that you think meant so much to you and was such a big event? Well, it was at a time where I was questioning what I was doing pretty hard in Los Angeles and I hit a wall and then I like thought that it might be good for me to see how I do out there in the big old world, you know, and maybe it was just that where I was that wasn't working for me and and I was right and I'm really glad I did it and I ended up moving to Nashville when I came back. So it also, I wrote my entire record basically on that trip the last the record i just put out nowhere sounds lovely was almost all inspired by that Take my good 
so yeah um, I got to you know go to the Carolinas for the first time and like see where a lot of the music I love is from I went to Clarksdale Mississippi you know I got to do obviously the well not obviously but I got to see like Wyoming and Montana and and all these beautiful places that I'd never that I would only have dreamed about you know yeah. the Dakotas and pretty remote places too and just meet a lot of people and stay with a lot of people and camp and yeah it was it was really an awesome experience you know and I learned a lot about myself and about music and I honed a lot of my skills I think just by playing but yeah then I came here and and that was that do you think you have a bit of natural wanderlust from your childhood having moved moving around and is that why you think you feel like you hit a wall and needed to to move maybe that's just me imposing my uh, <laughs> no i mean i've i've uh, i've wondered that because on the one hand i like feel i feel that i uh want stability pretty bad which is why i've settled here you know in what feels like a permanent way for now but then there's always the for now where I'm like, I don't know, what if in five years I'm just ready to be somewhere else? And I think that I will just see in five years if I'm ready to be somewhere else, then I am, you know? And if I'm here for good for a while, then I am. I don't know. Can't tell the future. On, on a similar theme, do you think the necessity of you to adapt to different languages and cultures early in your life, has does that have a direct analogy to what you're doing with your music and having to adapt to kind some of, different yeah. genres? Never thought of it that way. I mean, I've often thought about the relationship between music and languages in general because I feel like not only is there, I think, neurologically some interesting similarities or I, I'm not well-versed in that, so I might just be mm-hmm. wrong, but I feel like I've heard, you know, left brain, right brain kind of stuff with music and with languages, but then also just how within music there are so many languages and if you speak one whether it's garage punk or jazz or bossa nova like it doesn't really matter how you learned it or how you came into it you can communicate that thing with other people that speak that same language and that's like so cool to me and that's why I figured much like anything I respect I kind of want to give it give it the time like to I, I'm a pretty stu- not studious but just like I'm, I'm a nerd basically and I like the idea of coming down here to essentially learn from a tradition from a place that's closer to the traditions of the things that I really care about so to torture the the language metaphor you're trying to make it so you don't speak with an accent maybe you you want to speak like a more of a native speaker well, yeah, but also, you know, when you learn a language, it's kind of nice if you can go to that place and honor that culture and, like, understand mm. the language is Some really immersion. more what I'm saying, actually, yeah. where it's like you can learn the word tortilla, but until you go see someone with, like, the, you know, the clay, the comal that you make it on and the people making it by hand or the how you can have blue corn ones, you don't <laughs> understand tortilla, you know, like... And same with music in a way. Not always. YouTube's an amazing thing, but like I could either sit in by the beach, you know, and listen to going down that road feeling bad and be like, okay. Or I could come to the South and understand like what cornbread and beans are and what a holler is and how people live and how things are set up and what the nature is like and why these words are the way they are in these songs. And and I figured if I didn't like it, I could leave. Yeah. So I took a chance and came to Nashville. I'm not a songwriter myself, but I always love hearing about how people turn inspiration, and in this case, it's your traveling experiences, into actual lyrics and songs. So do you have a way of describing how that works for you or how you experience a, a beautiful place or a poignant place of some sort and turn that into what people hear on your album? That's, uh, it's a secret. I'm not telling anyone how. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think it's probably different for everybody, I guess, but I didn't actually write about places very often until that record. That's another reason it's an important record for me is I was like exploring a new, totally new frontier there where it is hard to write about places and not sound cliche and it's hard to communicate what it is that you find magical about a certain view or something with music. That's like a... Uh, mind twister in a way you're just like I can't draw it I have to like paint it with words and music question mark like what 
I don't know. I just, I always write a melody first. And then if I have a very strong emotion or, or visual or something or a line that comes to me, I might go from there. You know? The melody comes first. Yeah. Interesting. The, Even the, before the words. The chords come first, then the melody comes first. Sorry, second. <laughs> the other they first. They both come first. <laughs> yeah, I definitely always have chords or a riff, and then a singing melody will come to me, and then I fit words into that melody and rhythm. I think a primary reason that people interpret slide guitar as being like a really soulful type of sound is because of how much it mimics the human voice. Yeah, and I'm totally. I'm curious if you think that might be part of the reason you were so drawn to that is because of your you said you were trained as a singer and enjoyed singing. I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I've just mentioned that to someone because I've heard that so many times too. Something I I honestly don't know that it was that because what really the first time I like got the slide bug was in London when I was still in college. I went home or home, you know, to my dad's and he, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to be a musician. So I played shows that summer for the first time that weren't like, you know, my school auditorium or something. And so I played gigs, if you will. And I got a local show in Camden and this band came through this guy, Sam Green in the Midnight Heist, and he plays like a lap slide. So I saw him and it was really more, I just feel like I hate, I hate to say this. Everyone's gonna be like, you're so basic, but like the pentatonic <laughs> scale just grabbed me by the heart and like never let go. I feel yeah. like it was more about, because, you know, obviously that was, he's like a British folk person. So it's not even like necessarily the source stuff. And when I finally got to the source stuff, I was like, yeah, this is my language. Uh-huh. And it's not always just minor pentatonic things that I like. You know, I love hill country. I love country blues where there's that major vibe. I love the Skip James where it's actually just minor sometimes or some weird mode that you can't even put your finger on. But it was really more, yeah, those, the feeling, I guess I'm an angsty person and just like <laughs> the feeling that I got when I listened to this cool riff. I was like, I want to learn mm-hmm. that. And I got a slide and I was like too lazy to, to turn my guitar down and or over on my lap. I didn't right. want to like relearn how to play guitar. So uh-huh. I was like, Oh, I looked it up. I was like, you can play it this way too. And I'm just going to tune to D, which is what it says to do here. And kind of just taught myself basic chords and, and went from there. Like, I, I don't know. I ne- and I wasn't really informed by like the Derek trucks and almond tradition at all. Huh. Like I don't, um, yeah. until like later I got interested in, in finger muting and stuff like that, which is really big in that style. But the electric slide stuff is actually not at all what drew me in. And it still isn't really my biggest interest. Hmm. You described part of what drew you to the Clawhammer banjo is that it, I think you said it was sassy. Did you say that? <laughs> it can be. Again, when you have like cool modal tunings, right? Like, yeah. I mean, or even, I mean, I mean, one of the first ones I'm. country blues or wake up darling cora whatever you want it to okay. be <laughs> uh just as soon as my pocketbook plays not a friend on earth could be found like that's pretty sassy yeah you know but the i'm remembering that you said that because you had the same kind of description when you were talking about hearing the lap steel guy and i think that must be a, <laughs> that must be a thing it must be, but I will say I've softened in my old age because <laughs> my favorite tuning really on the banjo is open C. Uh-huh. Or, sorry, uh, like the double C double tuning. Double C. Yeah. Uh, I've experimented with triple C tuning, which is just... How does that work? So which, which, I wanted which other to eliminate is? the two. In open... Uh, sorry, in double C, you have a D on the top. Uh-huh. This, right? That makes it a major chord. And I was trying to play both Darling Cora and like way down the old plank road out of the same tuning. And I didn't like having this weird two. So I just tuned it down to a C. So there's three C's. Whoa. And I'll do it right now for you. Yeah, let's hear it. As far as you know, is this your invention? No. There's other people who do triple C tuning? 
I don't know. I, I've never talked to someone about it, but I, yeah, I w- there's there's I, definitely someone out I there. I warned you, I'm not as versed on the spooky claw hammer stuff. Well, I just mean that, like, cl- there's so many tunings. Like, I know. Doc Boggs has it own, his own tunings, and, you know, so, yeah, I'm not, not going to sit here and be like, I'm the only person that's ever thought. I feel like when you hear how that's just, you know, there's no third. And Sounds not like that there is with the kinda. two, but there's also not a two anymore. So it's just like... like a more impressive yeah. way to play that to me because even if it sounds really simple because you don't have the, the flair of that two, the two is a weird vibe sometimes, you know, and here. You can just do whatever you want over this very blank. Yeah. That's why I like triple C. But anyway, I digress. It's that great like droney, trancey kind of thing that, that a lot of that old blues is really good for. So yeah, I mean back to but double c is my favorite tuning because i do think it's and i think the song that converted me was um hush little darling don't say a word So, yeah, and then Duck River is like one of my favorite tunes, and that's a D tune as well. Okay. So yeah, I think it's just how can you not just like oh right. It's and having that low C in this tuning, I love 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 playing out of open C. So it's not all angst and pentatonic. <laughs> not all sass. Not all sass. Okay. Whose whose version of that? Speaking of speaking of which, whose version of that did you hear? Do you remember? Okay. I well, think my brother showed me this tune. To be honest, we were getting into old time at the same time, and he was still oh, living okay. in LA. Yeah, it was really funny. He taught himself how to play fiddle since then. I, I tip my hat. He's not a, a professional musician or anything, uh-huh. which is hilarious. But yeah, we're both pretty into it. Um, I feel like yeah, he he showed it to me one time, and I just played it a lot. Uh, and then I found out that those words are basically a lullaby that we all know. Who would be the banjo equivalents to your Skip James? Who who were you listening to and maybe even trying to emulate? Uh, there, I don't have one. Yeah. I don't have one, unfortunately. It's weird. Like, I'm not saying there aren't people I admire, but the people I admire, I don't try and play like them because I can't really. Like, Doc Boggs is three-finger style, but, you know, old three-finger, like pre-Scruggs, I right. guess, and just has his own entire thing. Go- and I eventually would love to learn two and three finger style for old time stuff. Mm-hmm. Would love that. Like Nora Brown, that little girl. Right. Oh my God. And yeah. She's not that little of a girl anymore, but you know, that makes me feel really old because I do remember when she was like tiny and right. just still playing all this stuff. And now she's just so awesome. Uh-huh. You know, Alison DeGroote too, like just, I-, I love watching these people play. And even here in town, like, you know, you've probably <laughs> met at Wednesday, met a lot of, the players Frank Evans is a great yeah, player and yeah. George Guthrie is, is a great Hammer player too right. and I uh, I basically like anyone's playing someone I would really love you know to learn more from is Victor Furtado too mm-hmm. he's uh, had was so lucky he was in town I got a lesson from him and okay. it was just like he's a beast you know what I mean yeah. so I it's it's a weird answer I know but like I don't I basically would just learn tunes and taught myself mostly of most of the stuff I know. You guys, Elderly Instruments is giving away guitars. And no, I am not joking. Elderly Instruments is celebrating their 49th year in business as the world's most trusted source for new used and vintage stringed instruments. So, as part of the celebration, they are giving stuff away. Go to elderly.com slash 49. That's elderly.com slash the numbers 49 and find out how you can enter to win. Now, if you are hearing this after July of 2021, unfortunately you are too late for the giveaway, but you should still go to elderly.com because they have all the banjos, guitars, mandolins you could ever want, including all the accessories and instructional materials to go along with it. So check them out, elderly.com. They're always my first choice for my banjo supplies. 
The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction with courses including Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Each course includes high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play with. So what I need you to do is join any of Peghead Nation's video courses and you're going to get your first month's free uh, just by being a Picky Fingers listener. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's all one word, all lowercase. And once again, that gets you your first month free at PegheadNation.com. You know, I keep bragging about Michigan, but it's hard not to. If you drive from where a lot of the Motown records were recorded and you drive toward Kalamazoo, which is where all those pre-war Gibson banjos were made, along the way you get to Battle Creek, which is the home of GHS Strings, another sponsor of the show. You know, even those pre-war Gibson banjos don't sound like much without a good set of strings on them. And GHS are some of the best, and you know that they're some of the best because they're the ones chosen by players such as Bela Fleck, J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and me. I've been a user of their PF145 banjo set for quite a few years. And if you need strings for your guitar, mandolin, or any of those other instruments, they're going to have that too. So check out ghsstrings.com for their full selection. And I'm starting only now to understand a little better the styles and like that there are, like there's like a Galax style of playing, there's a Round Peak style. And I, I knew those terms and those words before, but I'm only now getting shown like what makes those styles unique. So like the... Yeah, I, w- I don't, I don't think I would peak. be able to identify those by by sound what is um well that's the thing i'm still not even totally clear on them so sorry guys i didn't you know get (laughs) enough info but i was talking to somebody about the the round peak has uh left-handed pull-offs and plucks a lot so like there's a lot of like this backbeat and then you know there's i think galax is the more traditional one two and a one um, but then if you listen to like some of those, you know, even Ralph Stanley, the way he plays Clawhammer on his, his old time record or the guy who does Mountain Dew, I forget his name. Some of those banjo tunes, I mean, they're hammering like, and that's not, you know what I'm saying? So like yeah, I acknowledge all those things. Uncle Dave Macon's kind of like that, like really aggressive. And then there's other people like the more modern players, you know, they're just really like intricate. Precise, and then there are people that play the, the gut strings. I like all of it. You know, right. I, I saw Allison DeGroot was playing uh, or teaching how to play along the jigs. Like, that sounds cool. Give me that. You know, I want to learn all, all of it eventually. But right now, I just I just try and play along to, to songs. I just learn tunes. And I, and I will YouTube the ones that are too tricky for me to learn by ear, mm-hmm. basically. Were there any techniques that, I don't know, playing techniques that you stumbled upon that really have helped you or that you feel like you use a lot in your playing? Well, I mean, anyone who's familiar with Clawhammer or learning it probably will already know that, like, drop thumb, which is um, where you drop your thumb from that top string so you can kind of break up the one and the two. You kind of... It's good for waltzes, like... um, But I was just telling you earlier, I'm kind of fascinated by this clucky style of playing which I don't know where or why you know I just I've heard it and it's like if you strum it just the right place with the right nails you'll get this really sometimes really aggressive sound like this Uh, and I'm still literally just learning you know but this I've noticed in the last two weeks I've been trying to play every time I pick up my banjo I'm like throwing in like that little extra tacky thing yeah normally it would 
almost really nice. And that's nice, but when you're really getting into the groove and you're just playing the same thing, and sometimes it's, you know, I, have, I had a string band gig on Sunday and I found my, I heard myself being like... Because, I don't know, like there was no mandolin, too. I just feel like every genre has this, but I mean, blues and old time and bluegrass, all these things, I just... I think so much of it is innovation, like you're using the instruments that were around you or in that, you know, in certain cases, the ones that you could make, literally. Um, in other cases, just like, oh, well, there's no mandolin, let's let's invent this percussive style or like there's no whatever, um, you know. So I just think music is... That, that The more you play, the more you'll learn things, even if you don't take lessons from people because you're just like having experiences with your instrument and you're just like, oh... This sounds cool. Uh -huh. It's giving me a fun feeling that I haven't been able to achieve with, you know, normal strumming. So, yeah. Right. So now that you are one foot firmly in banjo world, I've noticed that you do have some gigs that are specifically your string band gigs and then maybe others that are not. So talk about how that is going to work out. Are you going to eventually blend no. all these into like... No, you cannot... I can't answer that question for you. Nobody knows. I'm stressing out about it myself, y'all. I figured you might be. I have no freaking idea. I don't know. I'm joking. But I, I don't really... I used to mix my sets. Uh -huh. I didn't really like the way that felt. And I know that there are certain audiences that really appreciate things that I really genuinely like to do as a side project. Like, maybe I don't want a full-on bluegrass set as my own project. You know, my music isn't really largely bluegrass. I right. have a few tunes that I, I do on the banjo and I'm sure that will keep growing, but yeah. the majority of my songs are rock-based. And I felt sometimes, even though there's this wonderful overlap of people that enjoy both, there's oftentimes people that really just want to hear one or the other. And it seems easier for me to also book certain kinds of genre gigs if I'm like, hey, I can play in a pretty traditional style, like I'm taking the five piece up to a small like heritage festival in Illinois or something and we're gonna play bluegrass and old time tunes, you know? Uh -huh. And the way, songs that I like from all the different eras and genres I like, but right. um, yeah, true string band style. And then, you know, at D's, like I often play as a trio, like a rock trio basically, or blues okay. trio with my bassist and a drummer. And I just, don't have the funds or the gigs to make those things coexist right now. But eventually that would be the dream, I guess, is to like be able to call a few people up on stage for the banjo tunes or have a cool hybrid of the two. But mm -hmm. I'm not interested in like forging a new wheel. I kind of just like all these different <laughs> colors on the right. palette, you know? And, and I don't know. And I feel like if uh, I just have been kind of rolling with it, like I didn't expect such a warm welcome into like, the bluegrass slash jam grass slash, you know, general string world because I mostly play guitar and slide and, you know, especially in Nashville, I'm like the blues girl who like, yeah. you know, just will hang out. I love going to jams and I have, like I said, a lot of great people that I know in those circles, but I don't consider myself, I haven't until recently, like, like you said, with a foot in the banjo world. And I've loved banjo for so long that I've realized like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's there. My foot's there, whether I acknowledge it or not. I definitely write banjo tunes. I play a lot. I've been playing a lot of banjo, you know, and I played my first station in gig, which was like the coolest thing for me ever. And yeah. How great. I just, uh, you know, I think there's space for both to exist until I guess there isn't at some point and I'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your, your album. And you said it was like largely inspired by your travels and stuff. One of my favorite aspects of the songs on there is the way you have a way of contrasting the verses and the chorus and the the hooks for each song. And it strikes me that that's like way more of like a pop songwriting, maybe then like you don't really hear that too much in like blues or bluegrass or, or anything like that. So I guess I'm not sure what the question is other than like, what attracts you to maybe doing that a little differently than a traditional blues person might? Oh, well, the, what attracts me about it is being, it sounds cheesy, but just being authentically myself. Yeah. 
and I'm not a traditional blues singer, you know, period. Like, I grew up listening to rock music and, and contemporary general, like, the cranberries and the cores and the strokes and, like, mm-hmm. when I was young, all kinds of stuff, too, like Lou Vega or, you know, Ricky Martin or whatever, <laughs> Shakira, whatever was on the... And my parents had interesting and eclectic tastes, you know, Dire Straits was big in our house, Rolling Stones, The Smiths. I liked metal briefly. I liked punk for a while. I just, yeah, I mentioned the colors you could use to paint something is such a used analogy, but it's very accurate. You know, it's like I'm really liking these colors that I found, you know. Uh, I've actually been in the studio this past week. I'm almost returning even more to the rock side. If you listen to my first EP, Troubled Sleep, it's just me on two overdriven guitars, like obviously tracked separately, and drums and bass. There's not a lick of Americana in there. I yeah. mean, it's Americana in the sense that anything even bluesy could be put in that label, but it's it's blues rock. Yeah. There's like distorted solos, and that's just everything was like driving, but it's it's blues pop rock. There's like a almost like a contemporary feel to it for sure, and I, I think that comes just from the time I grew up in and the music I was hearing, and that uh, it appeals, if it makes me want to groove, then I like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like to throw in all the things, oh God, the sentence sucks, that I like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, on that past record, you'll notice I have like a few Travis picking heavy tunes, even okay. if there is a band behind it, there's like, you know, a very clear thumb line and a clear riff, mm-hmm. because I like that. But I'm not going to hide like, the st- other stuff I like, which is sometimes rocking out. And so on this last record, I just went in this week to start doing, there's some like, yeah, just some like rock tunes. And a lot of it is, yeah, contrasting between choruses and verses. Yeah, it can even go from, and by contrast, I mean, yeah, you have songs that go from dirgy, bluesy stuff to maybe a really pretty sounding chorus. We got our women in white dresses Gonna walk through walls in this house is haunted Not as much as me, but I could Shake these demons ever company So I won't shake these demons ever company Blueberry Hill, Blueberry Blueberry Hill. Blueberry Hill is like a <laughs> perfect example. Yeah, yeah, I was like, are you referencing one in particular? <laughs> well, that, but I, I think there's that element on quite a few of them. And I think that might actually address what you were saying about being surprised at being accepted into the string band community, because if you're just doing what you like, I think people have a way of recognizing that you're being real or you're doing something a little different that they haven't heard, and that's cool to people. My entire business strategy has been uh, has been just be authentic. It sounds so obvious, but I, I think there are different ways you can be not authentic. You can be like an mm. act, you know, and put on a show, and that's equally awesome and inspiring, and that's a whole different skill set. But like, my entire purpose is to get closer to myself so that I can present myself through my music. Mm-hmm. Um, because I also believe that even if, you know, people maybe don't always have common sense, like intuitively on a human level, I do think people can connect with that usually. And that yeah. even if it's not their bag, they're just drawn in by it because they're like, wow, this person's really having a moment with themselves uh-huh. and we get to watch that. And so I, I'm very, I, you know, I just have leaned into that as hard as I can since those days on the boardwalk where I was busking. And I was like, well, people give me a dollar if I look really into this you know mm-hmm. because I am not because I'm like putting on a show right so uh, yeah I think that that was my logic behind the record too was like nobody asks you know 
Sarah Jarosz, like why she's so good at so many things. <laughs> they just love that she is, and it's all part of her as a an act. And so when I think about having string band stuff and Travis style stuff and then distorted guitar drum stuff on the same record, it didn't really bother me. I was like, JJ Kale, another person. Right. Look at his songwriting track, like uh -huh. collection track record. There's everything from like Calypso to rock songs to blues and they're all his own, you know, vibe. But he just wanted to like share little snippets of his creativity. And that's what I feel like is my original music really is, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like this is this is how I feel. This is the the room I'm in, you know, in my brain when this song is playing it like might be very different from a different room, but they're all in the same house if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I ask people on my Facebook to suggest questions and the the main one that I got that we didn't already talk about was Someone wanted to know about the influence of Ry Cooter, and I don't know if they know something about you, that that's an influence, or maybe they had just suspected that that might be. I could see why that would be. Yeah, I think um, they suspected, or they might have been making the, the draw between him having basically grown up at McCabe's, and he's a big part of like the McCabe's culture. I don't know if that person knows that specifically and is asking for that reason. That's yeah. the first time I heard about him was at McCabe's. I got given... Uh, live at the Ashgrove CD like okay. burned from the sound guy it's not something I don't think you could just like probably go buy somewhere yeah I'm not familiar with it well the Ashgrove was a big venue for blues for the blues revival and folk revival artists in LA on the pier that burned down okay so somehow you know Reverend Gary Davis like all these people have played at the Ashgrove and Ry Cooter there's I was given recordings of him with a, some lady Okay. Live at the Ashgrove, and that was my introduction. And it didn't lead me down any further path, I'll be honest. That's not a okay. diss or anything. I just, like, never really listened more to him, to be honest. I was so kind of caught up with all the old stuff mm -hmm. that I just haven't gotten around to some of the newer stuff. And the newer stuff I really am drawn to is, like, Hill Country these days, Mississippi Hill Country blues stuff. So, yeah, I don't know much about Ryder Cooter. I'm sorry to disappoint that person. That's I mean, okay. like, I know okay. he's a, a phenomenal slide player, and I've seen some great videos of him and stuff, but that's about it. <laughs> Not enough time to listen to every yeah, I can't single get everybody person. down, man. Sorry. Right. <laughs> that's okay. Um, let's talk about your instrument. What kind of banjo do you have? So this is an Eastman White Lady. It's spelled W-H-Y-T-E-L-A-Y-D-I-E, which cracks me up. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I... Honestly, didn't really know better when I got this instrument. I just, I had this amazing discount, dealer discount from my job. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get it at a, like, you know, fraction of the retail price. And I thought it was really pretty, honestly. And I didn't, I had just started banjo and was practicing on my friend's good time. And I was like, well, you know, shit, if I can get this for, for pretty cheap, yeah, for well, not more, much more deal, than right. like a new actual good time would be. I should do it. It's kind of fancy for a beginner, but, you know, why not? And I'm really glad. It's. I used to worry about how bright the tone is because a lot of old time is very dull. Like, people love, you know, and I do too. I really love the plunky tone, don't get me wrong, and I've actually kind of considered a second banjo sometime mm -hmm. soon, maybe that I could put nylon strings on, but is yeah. fretted still. But this... It just cuts really well in a way I hope that isn't too annoying that I, I, I've just think um, but it's pretty it's bright you know and it's, so it's got a lot of brackets yeah. and it's got a tone ring that's scalloped in there that's metal mm -hmm. and uh, Which I, is the do you guys white have lady thing. yeah do you guys have you have tone rings with Three finger style too, yeah. right? You can like oh, change the vibe. We love our tone rings. Same. Yeah, that's well, a thing. I don't switch them out, which I, maybe I should experiment with that before I worry about a different banjo. But I kind of want to get just a darker sounding, uh -huh. mellower sounding thing, mostly for practicing. This is pretty heavy. Okay. Uh, it's between the brackets and like just the thick, kind of the chunky neck, and like it's it's heavier. It definitely <laughs> leaves like the marks, and it's. <laughs> um, you know, when you're just sitting out on a porch or something, you right. kind of there's these ones that are just planks of wood, basically, with, and those are so light and comfy, and you could almost 
put them over your head without a problem. Oh, I couldn't sure. do that with this one. Like I would like. <laughs> yeah, with with having a resonator banjo, that's actually a problem that I've never had to worry about. Is the the sides of the hooks digging into your leg? I've never sounds had, like a third world pro- or a sorry first world problem, but uh, those it's hook just leg. Yeah, it's imprints. annoying. They like they're, it kind of hurts after a while, and they oh, sure. like yeah, they stay on my leg for like hours. Maybe <laughs> that's because I'm dehydrated, but. Yeah, so it's it's I've just got you know the synthetic head. It's a it's a mylar head, I guess. It doesn't look like it's a fiber skin or a Renaissance. I don't think. You know, I'm not even well versed enough to really confirm that for you. It's been so I haven't. I bought this instrument in like 2016, maybe. Yeah, it says Eastman on it, so that must be that 17. original head, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the original head. The yeah. only thing I've ever swapped out is the bridge. I used a half half moon bridge for a minute. Mm-hmm. And they're super cool. I just went back to like a more standard bridge for funsies. Weirdly, and I'm not claiming to to be, oh my God, so well-versed in specs because I worked at a guitar shop. But like I've worked at two guitar shops now and been around a lot of repair people and heard a lot of different customers and different people talk about their preferences. And it has largely led me to the conclusion that it's totally arbitrary. Like if you like what's going on, so I actually don't weirdly like get too nitpicky about what I'm even playing. Like if it works, it works, which has a detriment too. Like I do like talking to people and being like made hip to things, and they're like, "Hey, have you tried doing this? Like you, it, you're, <laughs> what you're describing is very easily solvable with this problem, you know." Right. And I, so there's moments where I'm like, I really should maybe uh, look into things like what kind of head am I playing, but. If it ain't it's broke. Wor- yeah, yeah, it's just working for me. Same with my guitar. It's very low. Like, I, you know, it's a well-made guitar. It's a national. Like, they make excellent things. And I get it tuned up here and there and just tighten screws and when they're buzzing. And that's about all I worry about, you know? Yeah, that's good. It's kind of nice. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But, yeah, I do want to make my dream Frankenstein banjo, which is, like, this thing that came into Fanny's where I worked here in town. Uh, on consignment and I should have bought it it was just this really cool simple like tenor banjo head so really light like almost no brackets that some guy had attached a a different neck to and done a cool like custom skull inlay which is just totally me (laughs) but yeah he had you know it was a fretted very lightweight instrument with nylon strings and it was just perfect perfect and I just that's what I want as like a practice slash fun banjo is like still a good instrument and I don't want it to be fretless because I have a tiny fretless one and it's like a whole different thing but uh, I want something a little more casual and a lot like lighter and less built up with all this metal and hardware and the tone ring I just want like a very plain quiet banjo I mean it'd be nice if it was loud obviously but <laughs> you can't yeah. have it all yeah yeah so yeah I worked at a guitar store or a string instrument store too for a long time so the the whole like discount situation i'm I'm very familiar with being having no money because of that but right you're like it's this weird thing where you're have some decent gear to show for just, it <laughs> I was so, exactly so fortunate i mean i got like the two staple instruments in my life during the time yeah. i was there and uh you know just really really thankful for it well first of all for mccabe's in general and the experience and everyone there was super cool but you know, being able to learn about and then get the gear with the help of like the dealers and dealing directly with them instead of like going to some store and getting paying a lot of money for a list price, which when you're like in yeah. the industry, you start to realize is crazy. Yeah. What are you working on these days? What's like a new discovery or maybe tune that you have enjoyed recently learning on, on banjo? I mean, you, you already mentioned the, cluck, I forget what you call it, the cluck, the cluck technique. Oh. So maybe something similar to that, or like, what's a tune that you use that for? Uh, I don't know. I'm just curious as to like what your recent practice routine or working. First of all, bold of you to assume I have a practice routine. <laughs> I got shown a really cool version of a tune that I already have played for a long time out of modal tuning, Greasy Coat, which a lot of people know. Um, yes, yeah, spell that one. Greasy Coat. I mean, spell the tuning. Oh, <laughs> I was like G-R-E-A-Z-Y. Uh, like. um, the tuning, oh, so G, G standard tuning, mm-hmm. you have a B, right? You have a, a D, G, B, D. Mm-hmm. You just take the B up to a C. Oh. 
like gotcha. this. So I would play it like. Pretty horrible, but you get the idea. Uh-huh. So um, I was shown how to do it out of major tuning, which there's another tune that I've learned recently. Rock Andy I really like is is one of those where it's like. Got, it just skirts that line of modal and, and major, but um, yeah, so the greasy coat thing was uh, there's this left hand pluck thing that like really gets the so I, you can't see my hand, I guess, but I could describe what's right. happening where there's nothing happening there, but this. That last note you just heard is actually my index finger plucking an open string while my middle finger holds down this note. So instead of yeah. me brushing down the nail, because in Clawhammer I can't just pick those two strings yeah. easily. Yeah, you know, you're, I have you're to. I'm like in this pattern, weird right? pattern. Yeah. So you can get a dega, 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 which is hard to do in Clawhammer. other move I learned in this tune I'll, I'll mention really quick that um I guess I'm not sure what the order of these interviews that I've gotten is going to be but Frank Evans was talking about a really similar technique that he thought was really cool the concept oh, yeah. of being able to pull off to sound a note that you haven't actually picked as yep. a way of getting around some melodies a little totally differently so yeah this, I mean, this kind of goes well with the things that it's Listeners inc- may have heard Frank say, yeah, we'll or see. maybe will hear Frank yeah, say. Well, will or has, we right. don't know yet. But yeah, the... the so that... Is actually yeah, cool. a drop thumb. And for those of you uh, maybe newer to that, that just means that like my thumb... That, my thumb is plucking that note, which is on a string that my thumb normally doesn't live on. My thumb normally lives on this high drone string, string for the claw hammer. And so when you get smart about... Yeah. You know, it's, really it's cool. a cool way to get this, like, I guess the triplet? I don't know. I don't feel very yeah. technical today. <laughs> <laughs> That's triplety. Yeah, so... Um, those are the two tricks I learned in that version, and I was like, man. And two what's and the name one. of the tune again? That's Greasy Coat. I don't okay. drink, and I don't smoke, and I don't wear no greasy coat. Uh. Yeah, well, a few mistakes because I'm still working out that version, but. Yeah, excellent. I know you said that you're going to keep the. Christina Vane old time string band over here and the Christina Vane well, blues guitar singer over fact. here. I don't know that for a fact. But have you ever considered doing like slide banjo or anything <laughs> super crazy like that? No. Okay. Oh no, man. I mean, I very briefly flirted with the idea when I thought I heard slide banjo on a Danny Barnes song, but I think it's just a slide guitar player. Because oh. he used to play with a slide guitar player. But so if there's anybody who's going to probably exactly. try to bust out some slide banjo, And I was like, you know what, Danny. I'm going to leave that to Danny. Okay. Yeah, you know, in the same way that, I don't know, I, my mind goes straight to like food, you know, of, of like, just keep adding things you like, right? I don't think that always comes out to the best final product, <laughs> you know? Like when you just pile all your favorite toppings on something, it sometimes is kind of gross almost. As a very awful cook I, I can tell you that you're exactly right yeah sometimes so just adding just, things that yeah. you I don't want to just be like I like this and this and this what if I did a song where I do all of those even though it could be gender break or gender uh genre breaking genre. innovation of course you could be onto something but I'm like I'm overwhelmed enough as it is in each genre you know what I mean mm-hmm. I'm still trying to catch up to people that have played in these styles like their whole lives sometimes and yeah yeah get closer and closer to the source yeah, it's tough when the music has like a hundred year head start on you. <laughs> For real. It's hard it's hard to For catch real. up. Yeah. But I'm glad to be, you know, who I am and where I am when I'm here right now. It's good, okay. Good way to end things. How <laughs> how does everybody find out 
how to purchase your music or go see your music in person or everything else about you on the internet? You know, I think the easiest way to get a sense of what I'm up to is Instagram. I'm pretty good at keeping up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Christina Vane, and there's no H in Christina. Did I do that? No, I'm just, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Keith. No, you, I don't think you did, but I'm like, there will be no H, right? Because the amount of stuff I've put out there, that's just No, I'm good with that. And the reason I'm so horrified is because I had contacted Allison Brown and spelled her name with two L's, which I, I, it's one of those things that I. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, it's a small things. I don't take it personally at all because it happens to me all the time. And sometimes it's just autocorrect. And I'm usually better than that. The point was to be that if you want to find me, it's, there's no H just so that if I'm not coming up, it's Christina Vane, like a weather vane. I also have a website. And a Bandcamp page if you like are a merchandise person and you want to get some stuff, then you can check that out there. But all my stuff's online, so however people consume their music, I should be able to pop up if they type in Christina Bain. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Christina. It's always awesome uh, to hear you. Nice that it could be in person this time. Yeah, thanks for having me on this. It's been really fun. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Let's go through those sound clips that you heard. In order, it was Prayer for the Blind by Christina Vane, Cuckoo Bird performed by Clarence Ashley. You heard two versions of Devil Got My Woman, first by Rory Block and then also by Skip James. And then two more Christina Vane songs, Badlands and Blueberry Hill. Thank you once again to Colin Brown who is the Patreon supporter of the show, go to bluegrassjammers.com, his new website for beginning bluegrass jammers. Head to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to find out how you can become a supporter of the show. And I hope you all have a lovely rest of your day, rest of your week, rest of your summer, and I'll see you next time. I'm watching a cat chase my cat right now. <laughs> I don't know if you just saw that. I saw that. My cat was the one being chased, and she's just, she's surprised. She looks like this fluffy, innocent thing, and she's out here, I'm sure, just like wreaking havoc. I don't even know what she's doing. <laughs>